1: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice.
0: Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. It's a new year. We've got plenty to talk about. We've got predictions and much, much more. It's what people do at the beginning of the year, Right. It's all about the old predictions. And they all go out the window when something strange happens. Something strange could be a spike in oil. It could be an assassination of a general from a foreign country. It could be the invasion of a teeny tiny little area of the world that no one really cares about until they actually do. In this case, anything can move the markets. And you can never see them coming. The ones that don't move the markets are the ones that you see coming. Like, hey, the markets suffer from crazy overvaluations, Or the markets are too cheap. You kind of need sparks that aren't perfectly there. Oh, boy. Was there a day in fast food yesterday where everyone's announcing more plant-based meats? That story's still good. And if you want to pay attention to a company like Beyond Meat, good time to do it. Last year, we got the froth out. I own no shares of Beyond Meat for the record. But the froth, the crazy trading in it, now it'll be based on maybe things like Burger King's announced that they're going to use the impossible meat substitute for a breakfast sandwich. We'll see if anyone responds. There aren't that many players in the fake meat. But anyway, I'm totally digressing. Wendy's, speaking of digressing, is launching breakfast nationwide. 2020. That's their thing. They announced breakfast plans nationwide. Its stock went down 10% when they announced that back in September of 2019. Because they've tried to do breakfast before and failed. Typically in the 1980s is when it all started to kind of go bad that people were really like, we don't need that much breakfast food. We have McDonald's right across the street. But it's bigger now. There's more at stake. Can they staff the restaurants will be a big question. Franchisees operate more than 90% of the restaurants Wendy's owns. Company plans to invest $20 million in the endeavor. They expect earnings to decline this year because of it, because there's stiff competition in breakfast. Uh, there's no shortage of the Taco Bells or the McDonald's or the Dunkin' Donuts or someplace that you can go and get a quick service fast food kind of, of breakfast i know you're saying breakfast is that big to wall street yes so i lived in iran for a small period of my life i only bring that up i was seven there was someone named the shah of iran, and when he got kicked out of iran we all got kicked out of iran essentially because uh, we didn't trust the people there to take care of us Uh, The Ayatollah said he wants attacks against the United States by Iranian forces in the open, and an Iranian security official uh, noted that the retaliation scenarios have been thought out, of which one would become a historical nightmare for the United States. Huh. It doesn't give you a lot of confidence, but sometimes you have to whistle when you go by the graveyard. Any distraction you can do to continue to stay invested, you should right now instead of finding that excuse to say, well, they just said something historical nightmarish, and that tends to not be a great result on Wall Street, or that tends to scare me, and I want to get out kind of thing. I want to have my future in my own home, in my own house, in my own walls, versus trusting the Ayatollah not to blow up New York or something crazy consult a broker for taking action on any stock suspension. And if you're a terrorist, consult toll before taking action on any destination suspension. And no, I'm not saying blow up New York. Oh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, there's some good stock stories out there today. Boeing and American Airlines reached a settlement over damages incurred due to the grounding of Boeing 737 jet. Um, I don't, wouldn't say that's a Earthshaker, but Boeing's doing what they're supposed to be doing and lining up what they have to do in order to get back to doing business. Spirit Airlines is offering to voluntarily lay off employees amid Boeing's supplier uncertainty over how long the 737 MAX production will remain idled. More than half the company's revenues come from the production of 737 aircraft. As a component, So that's Spirit Aerosystems, not Spirit Airlines. Almost made a mistake there. Pier 1 Imports. Haven't been in a Pier 1 in a long time. They said they're going to cut 450 stores and cut jobs as it tries to deal with ongoing losses and slumping sales. It says, tough retail environment. We can't continue doing this. That's an interesting one because Pier One's kind of a furniture kind of play. And you tend to think of things that Amazon can take down and take out. Books, records, movies. Do you get the furniture? The furniture that I've bought on Amazon so far has been massively disappointing. Not totally true. Like, I bought an office chair years and years ago, and it was fine. Um, But the stuff that you have to assemble together, eh, no good. In my opinion. CrowdStrike is lower this morning. Um, some shareholders are trying to sell a big chunk of the cybersecurity company. Now, CrowdStrike is kind of one of those plays that maybe would go higher if Iran did a, they can't compete with us in tropes. So what are they going to do? Cyberattack us? So CrowdStrike would be potentially important, as would FireEye. CrowdStrike's selling a big chunk of its shares, but FireEye is moving up, as are defense stocks, oil stocks. For every dollar that oil moves higher, Chevron moves $450 million of free cash flow into their pocket. So every dollar. So if there's tensions in Iran and it's already moved seven to eight bucks, you could see how much a dollar is going to move. Ten more dollars would to help a company like Exxon or Chevron. Of which, if you notice, their stocks stink. They suck. They're horrible. They're god-awful. They're, they're miserable. They're just not doing anything over the last five years. In large part because maybe electric vehicles. But also, oil's really not getting a jack above $65 in the last five years. And it does. It's for a short period of time. Marriott downgraded to market perform from at Raymond James. The hotel operator stock is trading at the upper end of its historical ranges of trading. To give you a comparison, so is Apple. So how many shares are being bought back? How much is the dividend being increased at a company like a, you know, a Hilton or a Marriott? Is going to be important. You can't just say, well, it's at the upper range and that's it. It's just one factor, and yes, it's a negative factor if it's a historical upper range of trading. But it's not the end all be all. Eight hundred, five one six, twelve, twenty each calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. We'll talk a little income investments coming up. Plus I've got some ideas on renting versus buying and much, much more. Big event coming up right around the corner. You can sign up for it at Rob Black Show. It's in early February. It's the first event of the year. At some point in time, I do predict I'm going to be done doing this, and it might be this year. Um, I'm wrapping it up <laughs> sooner than later, but not this year, but maybe. I'm starting to think about my future. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Samsung did something kind of cool and released some video and some terms of a licensing deal for a venture from their Star Labs. It's called Samsung's Neon. It's kind of like a voice assistant, kind of like a robot, but when you blend them together, it becomes a video chat bot. If you get a chance today, go Google or YouTube Samsung's Neon. When 5G arrives, having us say things like, hey Siri or hey Alexa, the audio component should start to be integrated into a video component, and we should have an avatar that we're looking at sooner rather than later. And that's what Samsung is working on. It's kind of a big idea. I like it. Let's go to phone calls, 800-516-1220. Let's go to Mark. Mark, how are you? Uh, good morning, Rob. Thanks for taking my call. Question. Uh, mutual funds and ETF, identical index, the same same uh, index tracking.
1: Is it uh, for the uh, I,
0: retirement account, is it better to have a mutual fund in there or ETF and a non-taxable account? Which one is better? Yeah, let me give you a very quick answer, and thanks for the call. Um, When you use the term, like, mutual fund, probably about 10, 15 years ago, I would have instantly cringed and gone, oh, watch out, like, the American funds are funds that I do not like because for the typical consumer, they have a 5%, 5 .5 5.5% load. A load means that you're only investing $94.50 out of every 100, because $5.50 goes to the company. Now, through the years, you've seen fees go lower and lower and lower on mutual funds. Turnover, how actively it trades, still has an effect. ETFs kinda came in maybe 20 years ago, but in the last five to 10 years, Everyone's issuing ETFs, and they're kind of like index funds. Um, Regardless of the right answer or the wrong answer, you're going to need to compare costs, because you said a mutual fund and an index fund, are kind of the same. So maybe you're applying an S&P 500 mutual fund versus an S&P 500 index or ETF. At that point in time, if they're having the same holdings and they have the same, in theory, performance, but you should check side by side, to see if one is carrying any options or anything else that could lower their costs. Um, then you're looking for trading commissions and turnover costs. So you're going with the lowest cost possible for the indexed angle. Now, staying with that theme, I think most people should say go with indexes over mutual funds. Now, there's two types of mutual funds. There's actively managed and there's passively managed, which are basically indexes, right? A passively managed one would be like an S&P 500 fund. Maybe an active mutual fund would be uh, the India shares. Now, some India mutual funds will cover the top 50 stocks in the Indian stock exchange, or the top 50 tech companies. So they could be indexed, too. So it gets a little bit tricky. But typically, if you're paying for a manager to actively trade the stocks, you're paying his fees. Whereas an index is just going to say, you know what? We see the top three largest companies are Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon, and we're just going to buy the top three. So we don't actually need to pay this guy to have an office. We don't actually need to pay him to have a staff or an administrator. Like, we don't need compliance on him. We, we, we just save a lot of money. I would prefer that you go that direction. Now, if you think you're going to be doing a lot of turnover and trades and getting a lot of um, capital gains, short term, long term, that's when you want to start applying tax strategy as far as which one is it better to be involved in, whether it be a Roth which, or an IRA or a 401k where you're not paying the capital gains while that asset is growing. You're paying it on, you're not even paying it on the way out. You're paying income tax on the way out. That's one of the beauties of qualified retirement products, QRPs, is that for a large portion of them, you're not paying on the taxes because it's a qualified retirement savings plan. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. If you thought you were like the king day trader because it's a big concept, and I don't want to just answer it for you. I don't want to answer it for a lot of people. If you thought you were going to be the big day trader of Fremont or Milpitas or Milopitas, Um then you would probably want to, if you can get a chunk of, ch- and you thought you were good at it, and you were good at it, then you want to have all the tax advantages like you're implying as you can and do it inside a 401k. But I tend not to think that you, Mark, from Milapitas, or wherever you're from, are going to be the king day trader. I'm assuming you're going to be a great engineer in the Bay Area, or a great city worker, or a great husband, or what have you. Day trading, I, I don't know when the last time I heard of anyone quitting their job to be a day trader. 20 years ago, that's all I heard. I fired a client 20 years ago because he said, if I give you an extra 10000 can you turn it into 100000 And essentially, I, I just felt used. I could have tried. There are certainly stocks that I picked that did do that. But I didn't like it. I didn't like the mentality. I didn't like the expectation. So I, I'm almost transferring some of that onto you. I don't want you to day trade or think that you're going to be a day trader. Here's how I would day trade if I want to become a day trader. Once I have $100,000 by age 30 or $400,000 by age 40, I'll set aside $100,000 and call it my Vegas money, my play money, my mistake money, my milk money, whatever you want to call it. Just don't call it your retirement money because you're probably going to lose it. Um, and you lose it fast. So if you wanted to do that, then you would have like your index money or your money in mutual funds indexes. But you could set aside 100000 if you wanted to after you get $400,000 invested at age 40 or 100000 at age uh, 30. I'd prefer you don't. I've seen 99% of the people that want to become day traders fail. Yeah, there's been one or two who had a good year and then kind of gave up on it and grew out of it and turned a great year into, oh, no, it's fallen apart to a good year. I, I've seen some of that, but not much. Some of the best things I ever did are very passive. I bought Apple and I didn't sell a share. I didn't sell a share until last year when I sold some to buy a piece of property. Other than that, I've never sold a share. That's not exactly day trading, is it? Are you with me? Are you against me? Another one was uh Network Solutions. This was the stock that I made my first million on. Ticker symbol N S O L. And they used to register dot com name. So if you want it Rob Black dot com or kdow.biz. dot biz or everyone had to pay hundred and twenty bucks a year, or sixty bucks a year, or four hundred dollars for five years or what have you. They had a monopoly for a long period of time. Until they got broken up, and it was planned to be broken up, but technically they couldn't figure out how to do it, so they kept hold of that monopoly for a long time. It went from four to twenty, I traded it, and went back down to four. Four to sixteen, I traded it, and went back down to four. Four, I bought it again, and went to sixteen traded it again. It was I was making milk money. I was making good money trading it. And then I went on vacation when it was at four, and by the time I got back, it was over at two hundred because it got bought out. That's loosely how this story played out, but woo! I probably would have traded it and sold it at twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen had I been there to watch it. Nope. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money Weekday Mornings, seven to nine on AM twelve twenty KDOW. It's a confusing time of the year because I, as a financial media person, look at it and go, hmm, how's that old adage of the first five days of the market year go, so goes the year? But this year we have the not U.S.-China trade war. We have the U.S.-Iran potential conflict brewing or something like that. Um, So there's weakness, but yet there's strength in defense and oil. There's always a bull market somewhere. The years where we have great growth, the following year may have good value. Something's always kind of working. Let's bring on Patrick O'Hare, Briefing.com, for the first visit this year. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Congratulations on a great
1: 2019. Hey, Rob. Good morning, and thank you very much. It's great to be back with you.
0: So what are you seeing as far as 2020 goes? Is it all? Is this going to be the year of Iran and the U.S.? Like 2019 was the year of U.S. and China?
1: You know, it's, it's easy right now, just caught up, given the noise in the echo chamber right now, to, to think as much. But, of course, that, um, you know, the trade situation with China is not going away. It's just kind of been put on the back burner for the time being. And, you know, but to your point, I, I start every morning. I take notes about what I, you know, want to comment on. And, and every morning for, I think, the last, you know, 18 months anyway, it's always started with U.S. China. Today, I started it uh, just on my scribble pad anyway with U.S. Iran. So, uh, so it's definitely a new, a, a new focal point, and, uh, and and certainly as it relates to kind of the market reaction to it um, at, at this juncture, anyway, it looks to be a um, you know a focal point of interest, but but one that really at this juncture looks to have been treated as really more of an ex- a convenient excuse to kind of slow down some of this bullish momentum in the market and to uh, to take some money off the table.
0: I thought you were going to say that because I too I'm feeling a little less pressure of melting up and it's kind of nice to see some sideways and maybe even some down days but i'm glad you went that direction now i think goldman sachs is reporting earnings tomorrow which means earnings season first earnings season starting off in 2020 i think one of the major issues of the market appears to be high valuations what are your thoughts on the combination of high valuations and earnings seasons kicking off 2020
1: yeah, well, you've got, uh, you know, first of all, actually, Goldman Sachs is going to be out next week. Uh, so it's okay, next Wednesday you. that they're going to report. But um, but I think, you know, you bring up a very good point here, right? You have a market um, that, that's trading at a high valuation um, going into this earnings reporting period, right? So you're trading at at roughly a little over 18 times forward 12-month earnings, which is about a 20% premium to the 10-year historical average. Uh, when we started 2019, so exiting 2018, coming in 2019, the, the S P 500 is trading at uh, about 14.7 or so times forward 12-month earning, earnings. And so you saw tremendous multiple expansion throughout all of last year without any uh, concurrent pickup and, and earnings growth. But the great um, catalyst, if you will, was the the drop in interest rates and the market's belief that interest rates were going to stay low. So as we look at 2020, um, you have to be a little bit guarded, knowing how that the market's starting from a point of high valuation here. And though while interest rates have remained low, that does remain you know a supportive factor here. But that's that's going to be the key variable here as we as 2020 un- unfolds. You know, interest rates need to stay low, and then of course you need to see. Uh, Uh, earnings start to uh, increase to a point where, you know, where they're rising to meet the, the, you know, the P, the price, if you will, Um, whereas it's been all about price thus far. So you need to see uh, these earnings come through to justify the multiple expansion seen last year, which was predicated in large part on this notion that the persistence of low interest rates and a very accommodative central bank would ultimately provide the bridge to a future that, in hailed stronger earnings growth led by you know stronger economic growth so if we see a challenge to that uh, thesis here in the early part of, of the new year be, based on what we're hearing out of the earnings reporting season you know the market would be at risk of, of you know certainly running into a consolidation period if not an actual correction and then you know you layer on top of it all of the geopolitical stuff and you know that that's a wild card in terms of you know how the market can react anyway but fundamentally you need that earnings growth to shine through here and and for these corporations to provide that ray of hope that it will as 2020 unfolds.
0: I think I saw Bernie Sanders in the last 24 hours pull aside a couple Amazon.com or Amazon employees and say, look how bad your company is for the planet, and they agreed. Um, do you think 2020 is going to be the year that Amazon, Facebook, Google, maybe Apple... Really get into trouble with the United States government as the whole politician twenty twenty campaign kind of plays out. Is that the only worry there, or is there high valuations? Are there? I obviously see Europe as saying, you know, these are monopolies, but there seems to be a lot of buzz right about the Fang stocks right about now.
1: There is. Well, what you have it certainly is concentration risk. I mean, these stocks have worked so well for so long uh, that, uh, you know, fund managers and retail investors alike have seemingly not been able to, get, you know, haven't been able to afford not to own those stocks in terms of, uh, you know, measuring themselves against the benchmark so um, uh, so there's been a lot of momentum obviously in, in these names but these companies themselves though uh, by and large have continued to deliver the goods um, but they are priced in many respects for perfection in terms of expectations and you know any uh, any disappointment there and you could see you know a, a, a quick correction in those names but uh, but I think it's fair to say Ian, to your point that uh, they will continue to be in in the, the political hot seat uh, as this year unfolds no doubt about it you know given uh, some of the populist rhetoric that's often associated with um, you know electoral campaigns and certainly with a presidential election so uh, so that's not going away uh, whether you actually see some 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 true action taken to um, you know break up or attempt to break up these companies is is, is, is might be a little more iffy just Given that, um, uh, you, you know, I think that you might need to see a, you know a changeover in Congress for for anything to happen in that front, but um, but it's definitely you know going to be be hanging over these these names as 2020 unfolds. But but of course, as we saw in 2019, that threat was very real then too, and you know most of those stocks did uh, did just fine.
0: Now, I know you have a lot on your plate at the end of the year. Beginning of the year, you wrote a big piece for Briefing.com, which is a great, reliable source of international domestic information on the markets. What have you put together as far as outlook for 2020? How would you grade what it looks like going into um, the start of the year?
1: Sure. Uh, I think most 2020 outlooks all start with... How 2019 was. <laughs> um, 2019 was a remarkably good year, and and it's fair to say that pulled forward some returns out of 2020 into 2019. It's what I was alluding to earlier. You know when we talked about the idea that you had multiple expansion in the in the face of no earnings growth in 2019, but that was driven by the expectation that you'd see better things in 2020 unfold. So uh, the key variable this year is obviously going is going to be uh, interest rates. Uh, if they can to stay low um, the market here can stay supported that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have a have a moonshot doesn't mean necessarily you know that you're gonna you know anything collapse, um, you know, barring some exogenous event, but um, but I think if interest rates stay down where they are, you, you could get a sideways year, or you could get continued modest gains as, as the year unfolds, but we're calling this a, a pet project year, right? Uh, P standing for politics, E standing for the economy, and T standing for trade. You know, those three variables are going to be integral throughout the year, and they're going to be uh, continued drivers of volatility, uh, and certainly uh, continued drivers of the equity market overall right up through that first Tuesday in November and into the end of the year. It's
0: going be a fun year. Thanks for joining us. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Get back to work and appreciate everything you do for us. Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Always a good voice on the markets. Thanks very much. Um, Thank you. Changing topics. Yep, changing topics ever so slightly. That was some pretty big picture stuff on market valuations and pet. That's a new term for me. It's all about politics, the economy, and trade. And don't get it confused. It's not politics, entertainment, and terror. Yeah, see how easy it is to get some of these anagrams, blah, in your head. Let's go back to a basic one. Fortnite. How much money do you think they pulled in in 2019? That was less than in 2018. 2018 pulled in $2.4 billion. Now, this is real money. Not a lot of companies in the world can pull off $2.4 billion in revenue on one product. Well, last year, they only pulled in $1.8 billion. So the phenomenon's cooling off. It's not cooling off that fast. That's still a lot of money for a video game. Um, in fact, total digital games revenues across mobile, PC, and console. $109 million for 2019 with free-to-play games like Apex Legend and Fortnite making up 80% of those. Um, I think that's supposed to be $109 billion. So that's a, a typo to say the least. Fewer blockbuster titles released last year. Revenue from premium game downloads decreased. The video game sector is very dynamic and changes, um, but it is growing earnings. And again, 2020 promises to be something interesting with a lot of big titles coming up in about 10 months as new consoles get released on the market. Next Christmas, a lot of boys and girls are going to wake up excited to get the newest, latest, greatest video game console. Um, and... Certainly, you got to expect some of the big game makers like Grand Theft Auto is going to have something maybe ready for the release of the new console, just in case you want to buy something to show it off. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I super enjoy the market updates and commentary by Patrick O'Hare at briefing.com. Stock markets open slightly lower. Semiconductor stocks are outperforming. Oil prices are pulling back. Strength today in material stocks, weakness in real estate and energy. Some semiconductor names that are doing well, names like Microchip and Micron. Both are up more than 5% today, getting nice upgrades from the analyst group Cohen. But the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is a pretty good index and it's pretty reliable. You'll notice that there's different indexes that kind of like mm, tell us little different things. When the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is doing well, it's bullish for overall tech, but it's also bullish for growth. That's out there. Boeing's higher. There's some activist chatter making the rounds that some big money's going to go in and say, Boeing, I own 5% of your shares and I insist that you be a good boy activists can come in and say, we don't like what you've done in the past. We don't think you're making changes fast enough. I don't know if that could be good or bad for the stock. I haven't thought about it. I'll leave it at that. And sometimes say, I don't know. Is that refreshing or does that stink when someone says they don't know? Um 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Little bit of financial commentary, economic commentary out today. Factory orders contracted in November, negative. Seven-tenths of a percent month to month. Following a downwardly revised two-tenths of a percent increase from three-tenths of a percent increase in October. So things a little bit weaker on the manufacturing side of the back half of October and November than we thought. Well, now that Disney Plus is out, we might as well bury Netflix, right? No. Wrong. JP Morgan is raising their longer-term global paid streaming subscriber estimates on increased confidence in multi-year international growth potential. So, the analyst at a JP Morgan, Doug Amuth, he said, we rebuilt our Netflix model to reflect the company's updated reporting structure. And they're okay looking at, you know, you know uh, Asia Pacific, excluding China. How many people are going to sign up? Middle East, how many people are going to sign up? Expectations. Sometimes you probably don't stop and think about that, but that's how they roll. Latin America is important to Netflix. And again, something that differentiates Netflix and a Disney is that their international rollouts look very different than, say, the domestic ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Amazon senior vice president of devices did a big interview this morning. A couple things that he said. Ring doorbells had a great year. I've got a ring doorbell and I find it incredibly inane. Um, ooh, look, someone's picking up poop in my yard. Ooh, look, packages being dropped off. I get it, I get it. But, but ring doorbells are, like, turning into, like, uh, evidence labs for police activity. Amazon's competing with Roku on TV streaming devices in cars. So says the Amazon Senior Vice President of Devices. And it's fairly safe to say, according to him, that self-driving autonomous cars is pretty far out. Wow, it's actually kind of refreshing to hear an executive from Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, or Tesla to say this technology is not coming as soon as we think it is. I remember two, three, four, five years ago when we said, oh, self-driving cars can be a 2020 thing. Not so much. There's more features out there. Could they be? I think big tech wants you to think that they have the solution right around the corner. They just got to get governments to, you know, buy in and approve everything. Amazon's competing with Roku on TV streaming devices and cars. And that made me go, whoa. Let's stop and think about that for a second. First and foremost, I got great advice from a car dealer once. A guy who owns a car dealer. He said, stop buying the extras. He goes... You know, 80% of the time, they're never even used. It's like you and you go, well, I'd like a storage extender for my truck or a net or I'd like a roof for it. Yeah, that's right. So the one big regret that I have in a vehicle in the last few years is when I had kids, I was like, okay, I need a SUV or a van because I'm going to be the soccer guy, right? I was like, let's put an entertainment system in so that when there's long road trips, they'll watch it. Ehh. We could have got a handheld DVD player for like 30 bucks, or you could have got like a $4,000 entertainment package. Guess which stupid one I did. On occasion, I make dumb financial mistakes just like everyone else. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm trying to be a pleaser. Who knows? Nomura is saying AMD was likely going to take share from Intel and NVIDIA with a 7 nanometer launch. Influential semiconductor analyst David Wong said AMD introduced its 7 nanometer notebook microprocessor chips, the third generation Ryzen notebook 4000 APU. And they got the first laptops on sale with it. And they think AMD's steady build-out will help drive market share gains against Intel and NVIDIA in GPUs in 2020. And something I can kind of tell you, something I can kind of not tell you. There's not... When you're dealing with Intel and NVIDIA and AMD's number of chips they sell a year, it's not in the, like... It's in the volume. When you take market share, it all hits your bottom line. Um, If you can improve margins, it all hits your bottom line. When you're talking about the difference between 450 million chips versus 451.1 million, it... It's kind of mind-boggling to you, but it's all about the margins hitting the bottom line. It's all about the volume hitting the bottom line. It's not necessarily about one product hitting a home run, although it's product-driven for sure. But uh, AMD looks like a $55 stock according to Wells Fargo. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Big event coming up in February. In the peninsula. You can sign up for it at robblackshow.com. Use code radio25.